I don't know your rules and your customs. Who is this Landru you speak of? You, are you not of the body? No, I'm a missy. Be gone from this podcast! Lawgivers! Lawgivers! Oh, uh, no. oh no! Friends, we've been trapped in a Soviet Russia metaphor. And the only way that we can emerge is by telling you about the return of the Archons on this Red Sharks. Hi, I'm Emily. Hi, I'm the aforementioned Missy. So communist metaphors, you got me hooked already. I got to get in here. Is this, I know I'm jumping the gun. Is this something where the writer specifically was writing about those sort of metaphors? Oh, you know it. We got our Jonathan Swift on. Uh, Gene Roddenberry just like so hot for Jonathan Swift like he he just wants to just get it on with John Smith uh he was so hot for him he just he made baby omelets he made baby cereal he just was like any any meal you can make out of a baby he was like there it is for me yep that's for that's for the real Swifty heads I do not support infanticide cannibalism just to be clear gene roddenberry's a huge swifty that's right jonathan he's a swifty you know what i'm gonna start calling myself a swifty too i had i read all of gulliver's travels including the part about the flying area and the horse people that most adaptations just breeze past because the big and little is so much more fun than trying to deal with why were the horse people called yahoos What's up with that? Ah, you know, that's a good question, and I bet Gene could tell us. But instead, uh, he told us a story—the story of Return of the Archons—which shows us what could happen in a world run by AI, i.e., the Purge. That's right. I that's this can't episode. It. I can't believe Star Trek did the Purge. Yep beforehand and like it's, they did the purge yeah. and that's just the minor part of the story oh yeah that's just at the top yes and i gotta and i gotta tell you i mean i might as well spoil this fun fact literally the purge is based on this episode literally the guy who did really? the purge watched this episode a lot with his father growing up was a huge influence on him and and it's a direct line like he's like hi i'm the guy who made the purge and i based it off return of the archons i 
messaged you that as a joke. Yes! I could not believe yes! you said you don't know how right you are. You're so right! I did not realize how right I was. That's incredible. That's yes. incredible. Yes. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Just that four, that like four minutes, not even that, like spawned mm-hmm. an entire like current day Swifty franchise, yep. you know, I don't, I, I believe, yes. you know, there's, there's some political layering oh, going on oh, with the story maybe. of that. In the purge, maybe. maybe. <laughs> oh, maybe, maybe just so ever so slightly. Okay. Uh, yeah. So oh. here's my one sentence. That's my funny one sentence. Here's my, my one sentence to sort of jump us into the story. Kirk and his Mary crew must uncover the mystery of a too perfect society, survive the purge and free their ship and the whole planet from a quintessentially evil computer. You can tell I wrote that one because of the amount of commas in that sentence and, and how it refuses to quintessentially. end. <laughs> so this story is, this episode is one of the iconic episodes of Star Trek. There is so much in um the effect that it's had on society, the effect that it's had on pop culture, on current culture, there's a ton of writing about it, thinking about it. And it even is the background for the, here's a spoiler for the end of the episode, just to keep everyone listening. A real life cult. Um, <gasps> yeah. Shit. So I have a lot of fun facts and they're about a lot of different things is what I'm saying is that there's a lot here and it spans from things as simple as like Ben Stiller's production company named it after the Red Hour. That's what they call the purge, uh, you know, to like a real life cult and like cool stories about it. So, well, not cool, but, you know, Return of the Archons. Return Teleplay. of the Archons. Again, didn't even know that they were gone. Didn't even know they were gone. Teleplay by Boris Sobelman, a story by Gene Roddenberry. And directed by Joseph Pevney, who also did Arena. Okay. Uh, yes. Um, Missy, first off the bat reactions. What did you think of this episode? Oh, okay. This was delightful mm-hmm. as a slow reveal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it opens wildly. Like, we yeah. open, like, in media res with yeah. Sulu and someone else being cornered. Yeah. Shocked. And then Sulu gets teleported up and is, like, been absolutely mm-hmm. landu-pilled. Yeah. And that's within, like, the cold open. Mm-hmm. And so I was already hooked in with, you got, in the first scene, they show me. <laughs> I, well, I'm laughing. So I'm laughing. I'm laughing. Listen, but it was, sorry. A mm. Cult robes. Yeah. Wild West outfits. Yeah. Su- like Sulu. And then like a, a, a Sulu has been under the influence yep. of different creatures, effects, things before. So we get another Sulu yep. gone south. It's just Justman amazing. literally commented on this. He was like, Sulu, his nerves have got to be fucking fried by now. Like, is there anyone else that we can have this happen to? <laughs> no. No, this needs to be Sulu because everyone else gets involved in some way or the other later. Right. Right. Uh, I'm so excited. So this story, essentially, uh, Ron Berry's thesis, of course, no one man or person has all the wisdom that to run a society and that communism bad. Okay. Yeah. 
So um, this story, it started out in 1964. It was an outline by Gene Roddenberry called The Perfect World. And then later he called it Paradise XML, which I think is really funny. Uh, <laughs> he's got to add random letters and Charlie, you know. Yeah. Later on in life, you know, they add an XCX at the end of it. Right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um, Visit to Paradise and Landru's Paradise. Um, it was a candidate to be the first pilot. Um, but, of course, NBC chose the cage um so Roddenberry like kept this story and ended up giving it to Boris Sobelman a tv writer and to develop into a you know entire story and he retitled retitled it the return of the archons um Boris he was a tv writer wrote for Alfred Hitchcock hour uh the man and woman's from uncle um but he never added Roddenberry to the cover page for credit. It's literally oh. his story. The Archons, Archons was what Gene Roddenberry's like group, like debate club in college called oh, themselves. Oh my, okay. Like it is Roddenberry's story. Like, and he just never put him on. Like Roddenberry had to like talk to Desilu Legal to like put his name on that fucking script to get the story by credit because it was super his story a, a little bit of a you made this i made this situation yeah which let's be fair gene has done that before to he other has. people super so has. he i'm not saying that he should have deserved it but yeah. it is just very funny that when yes. the when the when the shoe is on the other foot he's just like ah, 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 ah. No, 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 no 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 but so this is boris sobelman's only star trek script uh, I, if you can't imagine didn't have a wikipedia link and so i wondered hmm must be a low-key <laughs> enough writer that uh wasn't of merit so i'm gonna guess uh, a one and done here yeah yeah so um and he did a he did a fine job uh you know it's a really great tell play but it was also it was rewritten multiple times like by gene l coon by steve carabazzo's um all of the, basically the writers of the team to make it a better episode, to make it a workable episode. And Gene Ronberry did a final polish in addition to a number of other uh, things along the way. So as we go through the script, like as we go through the episode, I think we'll be able to identify like some quotes that I'm pretty sure are Gene. Um, I, just I, um, let's see if we'll we'll see if yeah. we can pick out the good, the bad, and the. We can't here. know. We can't know when I'm like, ooh, like if that was Rod, but like mm, maybe, given you know episodes that we know, like he fucking wrote every line of, uh, and what that sounded like. Yeah, this script, of course, it was a 1968 uh, nominee for a WGA award, um, and. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a really influential episode. So why don't we just get into it? We'll get into it. We open, like you said, Missy, in the craziest fucking way. Sulu and a Mr. Lieutenant O'Neill, uh, they're in like a 19th century American dress, like sprinting down a street. Uh, what's that street? Why, that's the 40 Acres Backlot in Culver City. Oh, the most backlottiest episode of yep. Star Trek yet. 
I mm. could not believe when we saw it opening. Yeah. And there was just standard old West yep. set on here and they're in it. I was like, oh, okay. We are just on a budgeted episode. Yep. Whatever is happening here, I assume has nothing to do with the Western overlay that we're seeing. It just was, <laughs> this society happens to have a convenient Western yep. theme to it. This We've was, seen this before. Uh, we it's have. Not the first. It's literally. But it just made me laugh. The same place where Miri was shot and where we will see the city on the edge of forever. Um, it's that set is best known for being Mayberry in the Andy Griffith show. That's Mayberry. There it is. Yep. You yeah. mentioned Mayberry in it and before. And it was I, constructed uh, for Gone with the Wind. Oh, yeah. really? It's now considered that the, is actually very interesting. Yeah. It's considered the early Americana set. Um, oh, yeah. we need one order up one early Americana. We need real right? dusty looking buildings. Just brick dusty, overlays. Brick burgundy. Bring uh. out the columns. <laughs> so they are sprinting only to find themselves absolutely cornered against one of these lovely backlot buildings uh, by two dudes in hoods doing their very best to look like Ted Cassidy. And like not western not, at all no it no, no, was no. incredible yeah and so this is within seconds minutes I, it just mm-hmm. happened so fast so i'm already wondering are these the archons who are these right? but i'm assuming already with mm-hmm. no other context this is a cult you don't yes. have hooded nope. figures slowly lumbering and cornering yeah. people like you they're know, without... not that concerned. Oh, like yeah, you no, don't get like, not we'll that concerned. Now like, yeah, oh, we'll no. get you. Oh no! Um, and they're wearing like the same spooky makeup, basically, as they put Lurch in when he played Rock, uh, Theodore Cassidy when he played Rock. Yeah, in what little girls are made of. Um, so. O'Neill is freaking the fuck out. He's like, we need to get the fuck out of here because we know what they are capable of. Ooh, what are they capable of with those sticks? Sulu's like, just calm down. We're about to be beamed up. But O'Neill just sprints. He takes off. And basically, as soon as that happens, Sulu gets got by one of these sticks. Just a bunch of smoke blows out of the end of it and sparks uh, because the animation would cost a lot of money and justman was like uh, this 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 will be this will be cost effective um so he gets hit with that and it's just basically immediately beamed up after that and when he appears on the bridge kirk's there he has this look on his face like just serene and we get this great like eerie music in the background they're like like i can't even do it justice this wonderful like unnaturally uh, happy yes unnaturally happy sulu unnaturally happy music yes but like with minor tones and it's so good i love it um it's reused throughout the series but i love that sting and he's just happy and they're like what the what's going on where's o'neill also uh, only you're here. And Sulu is just like, you are not of the body. He's yelling at them. He's screaming like, you are not of the body. Uh, you did it. They knew we were archons. 
these are the clothes they wear, not these. And he throws a bundle of clothes that he just like has because he's in this old Americana outfit uh, to blend in, I guess. He's and like, he looks very dapper. He looks very dapper. Um, they all kind of do. Uh, <laughs> but isn't that crazy? You knew it. They knew we were archons. These are the clothes they wear, not these. And he's taking off his jacket. And Kirk is like, what the hell? And that's when Sulu says that the people on the planet, they're wonderful. They're the sweetest, friendliest people in the universe. It's paradise, my friend. Paradise. And that O'Neill is in that same paradise. Um, and yeah, the Archons, which apparently Sulu thinks that he might be one of, was a club that Gene Roddenberry belonged to at school. Space! The final frontier. Captain's log while ordering, orbiting planet... Uh, while orbiting planet Beta 3, trying to find some trace of a starship Archon that disappeared here a hundred years ago, a search party consisting of two Enterprise officers were sent to the planet below. Mr. Sulu has returned, but in a highly agitated mental state. His condition requires that I beam down with additional search detail. AKA, he's so fucked up, we gotta search and figure out what's going on. Yeah, like, oh no. So a landing party of, like, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Lieutenant Lindstrom appear pretty much where Sulu and O'Neill just were. They're all in their nice little, like, 19th century Americana outfits, and Spock has, like, a black poncho on with a square head, like, hood to hide his ears, I guess. I love, yeah, they just throw, basically, they throw him on a robe, and it's like, well, this is the most robiest of things we got right here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and now there's, like, a bunch of people on the street, and they're all chill, they're serene, but they're all walking eerily in the same rhythm, like, at the same step, almost, and no one's really, like, talking to each other, and we get that creepy, eerie music, um, and this was uh, Gene Kuhn's idea to show that everyone has a creepy connection to each other without spending money. Yeah, I, mm. I got it pretty quickly. Yeah. And no money spent. No money spent. And that's when our buddy Bylar comes up to them and he says, you'll be strangers. Come to the festival, are ya? Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> Ralph Murr. Marrer. This uh, is a this is a pretty unhinged performance in terms yeah. of Star Trek stuff, especially when given that we haven't seen any accents or anything's here yep. from here. Now you have a rice smile that that did this actor get an idea in their head <laughs> and push through and they just had to deal with it. He was told he was told it was like a 19th century Rhode Island, like Northeast. And he's like, oh, so like you want me to do like a Rhode Island accent? Like, are ya? Come for the festival, are ya? Um, and then when he saw it broadcast, he was like, why am I the only one doing it? I <laughs> cannot. This, this I don't know if role. this is an actor's nightmare or an actor's blessing because... <laughs> It is a memorable performance. Right? And here's when actors do things like that, usually my first instinct is not, 
like, oh, someone walked in like this. It's that the director told them to do it because yeah. the director has control over it. Yeah. So this made cut. So I just, okay, got mm-hmm. in there. But when you started to break it down, I was worried. Oh, no. So it's like he made mm-hmm. a choice, but only because they they kind of yeah. let him to. They did. Oh, uh, oh this was his first it. role. And he was so nervous that the director had to, like, walk him through the the blocking, like, at the pace that he wanted them all to go to, like, and he's like, once the director walked me through it, he, like, took me by the arm and walked me through it, and then I felt better, and I was able to do it. Beautiful, beautiful. Beautiful. Um, so he's, he's our buddy Bylar, and he's like, oh, you're sweet, you're here for the festival, clearly. And you're probably, you're from the Valley, right? Like, that must be where you are from. From the Valley. The unspecific Valley. And Kirk's like, yes, that is exactly where I am from. We are definitely here for the thing that you said we are here for. Um, We get a a really good, like, Kirk undercover. We get to see him be real clever throughout this episode. He's a sneaky dog when he wants to be. Oh, yeah. Um... So that's when he's like, oh, well, great. You'll need a place to sleep off the festival. Clearly, Tula. And he, like, manifests a woman out of midair. No, he, like, sort of grabs her from wherever. And he's like, Tula, your daddy has rooms to stay, right? And she's like, yep, totally. And he's like, sweet. Like, they can stay there, but it's almost the red hour. And immediately when he says that, the big town clock strikes six o'clock. Bong. Most evil time. Bong. Bong. Yes, nothing good happens at six o'clock. Yeah, and literally the purge begins. Your local news is evil. <laughs> Tula starts screaming and pulls like a glove off her face and Bylar like grabs her and runs off. Everyone in the street screaming and throwing shit and breaking windows. A woman jumps on Kirk, like making out with him. And he's like, holy yes. fuck, like, get off me. Um, it, it, so, and it, this is uh, what I want to be careful and try and I don't want to be careful, but it's like, this is, not organized chaos. This is pandemonium. Yeah. Like yeah. people are just running around screaming, thrashing. There's nothing inherently violent or sexual or really appears to be illegal outright happening. So it's really funny. They yeah. have a purge where it's clearly a purge like scenario. Yeah. But nothing is implicit. It is only yeah. like implied. And it's the old West, we're going to yeah. rouse up the town kind of thing. So yep. it's just. Men running through going, yeah, we are, like and women, women screaming, going, windows. oh my, and like <laughs> men throwing women over their shoulders. Like yep. it is just chaos. It is chaos. Yep. Utter chaos. Uh, they did a good job. NBC was very concerned um, about things like a half naked woman running through the streets and like Bylar attacking. Um, so chaos we get we get wonderful nbc approved chaos going on and the landing party is like we got the good we have to get the fuck out of here and they sprint towards the only place they know tula's daddy's house Rhaegar's place they open the door they tumble through slam it behind them uh only to find three old men like it's just utterly shocked (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh. But, uh, what are you doing in, in here? Aren't you, aren't you out oh, purging? It's like, what? Uh, Kirk, however, excellent schmoozer. He's just like, I'm sorry to break in on you like this. We didn't expect that kind of welcome. Like, oh, I'm so charming. The purge is happening. I'm charming. And they're just like, welcome. You're strangers? Uh, so that's Tamar. He's one of the old men. He's also one of the crash survivors in the menagerie. Uh, and he will uh, be in one of my favorite episodes. But Missy, I'm so excited for you to guess what this one's about when you hear the title. Okay. For the world is hollow and I have touched the sky. Okay, we're not going to get into that right now. We can't <laughs> play that game. We're not getting into it. But I love that episode. So I was just like really excited. I have no mouth and I must podcast. Like that <laughs> sort of. I can't get into it. I want see every once in a while, actors will appear in these things. And I wonder to myself, have I seen them before? Or am I just ageist and all old? Like people look somewhat the same to me. And so I'm glad to have reaffirmed that at least one of them <laughs> we have previously seen. We will see other of them, too. Uh, that's just the one I got excited about. But almost all those old men also do other old men things <laughs> in the backgrounds of Trek. Um, so Kirk is like, yeah, uh, no, we're like, we're totally from the valley and we're here for the festival. Those are the two vocab words that I learned. Um, and that's when Lindstrom is like, wait, you're Rhaegar. And Rhaegar's like, yes. And he's like, so your daughter is Tula and she's outside in the fucking purge. And Rhaegar is just like, he's, he's kind of like, sad about it. Oh, yeah. You know, these things happen. Uh, he's like, yeah, I know it's festival. It's the will of Landru. Like, he's not happy about the, the fact. But another old man with him, Hakem. He's like a wild religious zealot shit. He's just like, yeah, she's out in the festival like she should be, like all good moral young people should be, and you should all be out purging right the fuck now. Like you're too young to be excused. Yeah, he's like, y'all look young enough to be purged. What are you doing in here? Yeah. This is only for old white character actors. <laughs> um, But he's really pissy, and... Uh, Rhaegar and Tamar like are trying to calm this guy down they're like dude like they're strangers like they have different ways like calm down like it's totally okay and they're he Hagum's not taking it he's just like oh and Landru is not everywhere mm. there are no lawgivers in the valley mm. 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 I should tell the lawgivers about this right now and that's what Tamar is like they're infallible they probably already know about this and Hakem's like, you insult the lawgivers. He he tastes the sarcasm. Like, I feel like Tamer does a really good job of that plausible deniability sarcasm. Yeah. That you have but, to do in some situations where like, you, aren't they But infallible? you taste it. You know, it's on, it's on the tip <laughs> of your tongue. It's just on the tip of your tongue. And Hakem's not having it. He just fucking walks out into the perch, leaves the house. So Rhaegar is like, uh, I'm going to show you guys your room. Behold, a beautiful little room with some bunk beds. And that's when Kirk's like, so tell me about this festival. And Rhaegar's like, excuse me, so you don't know what festival is? Like, like he, and Kirk's like, no, like, uh, tell me about, tell me about festival. Tell me about Landru. And this dude turns around and closes the window. He's like, we cannot talk about this. Like, just go have a fun purge. 
have a fun festival. Good night. And like leaves. Yep. He's terrified. So Kirk's like, sweet. Overnight, we all got to figure out the fuck's going on. Lindstrom, do your sociology. Like Dr. McCoy, do your medical stuff. Me and Spock, we're going to think. Uh, which which is great that he specifically was like, and we're thinking. And 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 they do, and they, they do. are talking it out. And I, I have to say, during the scene that they are trying to figure and logic it out, you can hear faintly in the background every once in a while a yeah, like just the faintest sounds of old west stock effects, yep. just being thrown in there. And I, I was trying to take the proceedings seriously. <laughs> And I just can't when that happens. <laughs> like no amount Yee-ho! of serious discussion by by Spock and Kirk can can <laughs> prevent that from penetrating through. Yes, uh, we get a great shot of that of that old West madness in the night. Um, and at one point, you see like a dude like jump through a window and yell, "Festival! Festival!" And that man is Bobby Clark, and he is the Gorn. He is one of the people who spent time in the Gorn suit. And you messaged me about that, and I was yep. so happy. I, I, as if I couldn't love this That's episode so anymore, a so... secret Gorn was among I us. Know! Right? Yeah, just absolutely fantastic. So we get this great, like, the camera circling around, and now it's morning. The sun is out at 6 a.m. There's still some people purging in the streets. When the clock hits six, bong, bong, suddenly everyone stops their purging and just immediately stops and like turns and like calmly like walks away, uh, presumably back to their rooms to sleep off the festival. Um, you know, to thank Landrew? I don't know. Yeah, Exactly. Um, I should so, say at one point during the proceedings, we did get a classic moment of people carrying torches. There were there didn't appear to be any mm, fires burning, but they no. just had their torches ready to go. The torches. There's some spooky shadow violence. Like it's great. Um, so the landing party hears screaming inside the house. All of a sudden, they rush downstairs. And it's Tula. She is screaming in hysterics in her father's arms. And he's like, it's okay. It's over. It's okay. She has seen some shit. And no, this show is not prepared to get into the implications of it. No, it is very specifically not. And in fact, there was a scene that was cut from the script. uh, Because NBC was like, excuse me. I don't even know if it got to NBC. Um, but originally when the purge started, Bylar was supposed to like turn and like attack Tula, fighting off the Enterprise men who immediately try and, you know, defend her because they don't want to know what the fuck's going on mm-hmm. and carrying her off. So there is a direct implication of violence done by him to her. Yeah. And that um, would make his character really irredeemable by the end. Yeah, so we, uh, so a lot of that is being implied. That's sort of what's implied in the shadows and like people walk, running around with their clothes torn and stuff. But it's it's pretty uh, 60s TV. Um, so immediately, like Kirk's like, you know, McCoy, give her a shot <laughs> of something to like calm her down. Um, and 
they take her into the other room and Lindstrom is like, what kind of fucking father are you? You left your daughter outside in the purge. And Rhaegar's like, dude, it's Landru's will. Like with this yeah, air of like, what, what the fuck do, do you mean? Like, Landru do what Landru do. And that's when Tamar shows up and is like, oh shit, you guys actually didn't go to the festival, did you? And that's when a sort of terrified Rhaegar asks, are you are you Archons? And Kirk, so clever, says, what if we are? Mm, collecting that information, baby. Mm-hmm. I just love him. Gathering, I don't, something about, something I really like in science fiction is when out of context character has to figure out a society yeah and has to figure things out and and be like somewhat undercover and it's it's in a lot of sci-fi it's like one of the standards of it but it's my favorite it's like it's like you know sherlock holmes is a spaceman um so it makes me really happy what if we are and tamar's like we have to hide these guys immediately (laughs) like we are in imminent danger we need to hide them. And that's immediately when two lawgivers walk in with their creepy hoods and two big hollow sticks and hey come right behind them like a horrifying like preacher. Uh, <laughs> Manic look in his eyes. And you yes. know he's up to no good because you don't summon two hooded people nope. without having a reason that you're going to make some trouble. Yup. And he's like, that's him. That's Tam- Tamar insulted you. And these fucks didn't go to the festival. Yeah. Uh, he did not take that sarcasm. He did mm-hmm. not take that sarcasm lightly. He no. reacted very badly. Yes. Not very nice. No, he, like every Karen before him, immediately called the cops. Yes. Not okay. Not okay. Star Trek, just a severe stance right now. Don't call the fucking cops, you Karen fuck. But... The lawgivers are just like, Tamar, stand clear. And Rhaegar, like, is in front of him. And Rhaegar doesn't want to move. Like, Rhaegar does not want to move from not in front of Tamar. But Tamar, like, terrified clearly, like, puts his hand on Rhaegar, like, steps forward and says, I hear and obey the voice of Landru. And then they shoot at him with their little sticks. And a bunch of smoke and some flaccid-looking sparks just kind of plop out <laughs> the front. But it kills him! Tamar kills is him. dead! This isn't a mind-altering re-conditioning you know, no. gun. This is just a gun gun. Yeah! Yeah! The lawgivers then turn to Kirk. Like, of course, Tamar's dead in Rhaegar's arms, poor guy. And is like, you attacked the body. You have heard the word and disobeyed. You will be absorbed. And their voices are like robotic. They're like deep. They they sound like Ted Cassidy. Um, yeah. You will be absorbed. Kirk's like, what do you mean absorbed? Hey, comes like, see, clearly they're not of the body if they don't know what absorption is. Um, And the lawgiver is like, you will be absorbed. The good is all. Landru is gentle. You will come. And Kirk says, we are not going anywhere, uh, but maybe no. And it's like, it is the law. You must come. And Kirk's like, I'm not going anywhere. And then the lawgivers just like short out. They just like turn and face each other and like do nothing. It was great for two hooded (laughs) figures just to turn to each other and give each other a look. It's like almost like a double take. It was very funny. (laughs) 
Like, why isn't this guy just coming with us for absorption? Like, I don't understand. Uh, have you ever had anyone say no before? No, no, have you? No, I don't. No, I don't, I, I don't know what to do either. I, I, actually, I've done in the rule book. I, th I thought I was the only one who was allowed to say no, and I was no to, to the things they were doing. They come with me. Um, so Kirk and Spock are like, that's weird. <laughs> they clearly don't expect anyone to refuse them ever. Yep. That's interesting. Uh, and then the lawgiver, like, you know, honestly, champions of gentle communication, gentle parenting coming from Landru. Um, it is clear that you simply do not understand. <laughs> I will rephrase. You I are loved that. I <laughs> loved it where there was like, okay, we, we can't be the ones at fault here. You must just have not understood what we like, meant. We're no. going to, and they don't rephrase it to make it simpler. They basically no. go up their dictionary thesaurus and pull out more yeah. complex language. Yeah. Like you are ordered to accompany us to the absorption chambers. Like, I'm sorry. Like, what about this did you not understand? I don't know, but I will do my best because clearly that's it. Um, and so Kirk is like, no, we're going to talk to Landru himself if he wants to talk to us so bad. And then Kirk just grabs the stick from the lawgiver. Like, yeah. the lawgiver starts to lift it, and Kirk just takes it out of his limp hand, no. hands it to Spock. Yours now. <laughs> Uh, and it's fucking empty. He's like, this is a hollow tube. Um, and the lawgivers are just like in shock. Now they're just in shock, dead still. And Rhaegar's like, sweet, we have a second. They are communing. We have to get the fuck out of here. So they follow Rhaegar. Rhaegar opens the door uh, to the outside. And they do the little walk this way thing. They're like, the zombies won't notice us if we act like zombies. Yes, we must. We must walk with no intent. And I wonder if that trope had been used before. Because the first time I saw that, besides like this episode, I and noticed it beyond like cartoons was Shaun of the Dead, where it's like, oh, if we pretend to be zombies, the zombies won't notice us. So yeah, um, they do a great walk this way and they like walk in tandem with the people. They're like, joy to you and joy to you. Ah, joy to you, joy to you. And it seems to be working um, until they pass Bylar and Lindstrom jumps up and he's like, that's the guy. Like, Rhaegar, that's the guy who hurt your daughter. And Bylar's like, shut the fuck up. That is Landru. That was the will of Landru. Like, shut up. Like, it is not Bylar. And also shut up. Um, And so that was, I think, from that earlier draft where, like, yeah, Bylar yeah. very specifically hurts her versus like we don't really you know yeah out of context it just seems like something that got made up maybe because i didn't recognize him when he all of a sudden popped up and he's like oh and i'm here to help i mean you know apart from mm. just when he was introduced before and so i didn't even notice him in like yeah kind of the town stuff going on mm -hmm. um and that uh is when everyone in the town suddenly stops moving and turns around to look at them at the same time. It is Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yup! They all uh, start, like, leaning down slowly. Grabbing, like, sticks and rocks in their hands. They all bend over and pick up 
conveniently nearest, place yeah. things in front of them. No one is wanting to search. They all just stop where they are. Yep. All simultaneously. Really good simultaneous acting work. I was really, going to call this really out. Really, really good job. They yeah. all bend over at the same time, pick up a conveniently nearby object, mm-hmm. stand on up, and turn and go, you. We're going toward yep. all of you. Yup. And they just slowly start walking towards our guys. Um, I really think that that, like, the... There is so much in the directing of this episode, and it really helps me see, like, Arena is a great episode, and it's really funny, but it has, like, you know, some issues with pacing and this and that. Mm -hmm. But, like, really, like, when the producers, like, when Justin says that, like, Pevney isn't just good, he's the guy who shot Arena, like, this guy can direct. Yeah. Like, he knows what's important. Like, he knows how to make an atmosphere well, this and a scene. Two for two in terms exactly. of uh, episodes that have been described as iconic. Although, mm-hmm. I will say, to be fair, we do we do describe a lot of Star Trek episodes True. as iconic. But especially, especially those two, I do think. And, like... Oh, yeah. Arena, I, I had yeah. already heard of. Like, the Gorn, for sure, I knew mm-hmm. had been referenced to. Uh, you know, that, like... This one I had not heard of, but you're right in terms of the tropes. Clearly, I had heard yeah. of it before. And that's one of the cool things about this episode is that you see the influence everywhere, but not the name. Because yeah. Return of the Archons is a meaningless title. And it's a really funny thing that it got titled that to me. Um, but so our guys are running from our slowly marching townsfolk. When they end up, they have to phaser a group of people on, like, stun to get through. And that's when they notice one of these guys is O'Neal. Yep. He's just part of the populace. And Rhaegar's, they're like, pick him up, take him with us. Uh, And Rhaegar's like, fuck no. Like, he is of the body. Landra will find us through him. Now, we don't have a body count of crew members in this episode. None of them actually perish by the time that we are done. Mm-hmm. But I must record, I must reward an honorable mention yes. for dumbassery to <laughs> Lieutenant O'Neill, yep. our Red Shirts Award. Again, yep. he did not die. He is not a red yep. shirt. He can't be officially part of it. But I think that I call, I call me the Captain and Lieutenant Matthews. His rank goes in order of how I want him to be. Captain mm-hmm. Matthews would be ah! proud. Of the foolishness of this guy to abandon Sulu at the start. Of course, he's going to show up midway through being brainwashed. Like, what else is going to happen to this guy? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So this poor guy spent, like, like a couple days just, like, as part of the body. So I just wonder about He participated in... He participated in in the the festival. You're right. We don't know what he did, but he had to have done it. Poor guy. I just want to see, like, his, like, counselor records. Um. <laughs> I know the answer is no, because we don't hear about it. It would be very funny if if Sulu simultaneously was trying to do a festival himself up on the ah! So he's, like, solo he's festivaling just... and running around. And they're like, oh, God. Oh, no. He's been hit with that virus from the the naked time again. Like we Originally, they had infection. more of that. They had Sulu, like, taking over the ship to try and do the Will of Landry. Oh, of course. Yeah. But uh, the guys, like, they didn't even send that one to NBC because they're like, it's too much like the naked time. 
Uh, yeah. We don't want people comparing the naked time in this one because naked time's really good. And also, how many other episodes has someone gotten on board a crazy person to try and come yeah. near the ship? Uh, crew yep. or otherwise so let's just keep it planetary you know for exactly once. exactly <clears throat> so they kirk's like sure Rhaegar. no pick up our guy we'll keep him asleep we'll just keep giving him shots to keep him asleep and they all run into uh this dungeon basically this like big stone dungeon that uh, Rhaegar has or knows and he goes and he pulls out this like canvas that just emits a ton of light and they're like this is from the time before the lawgivers like we had this wild technology um, and they're like what the fuck and he's like yeah this was from before Landry maybe 6,000 years old oh my god just as yeah. old as the earth is ha <laughs> um it's like, we don't know how long, uh, but about a hundred years ago, outsiders, people called Archons, were pulled out of the sky by Landru. And these people were not of the body and resisted Landru at first. Most of them were killed and absorbed, but a resistance was started amongst the populace. Uh, and some people are naturally Im immune to Landru. And Rhaegar is one of these people. Um, he was raised in this society and stuff, but he can't be compelled, sort of the way that clearly the, the other people can. Um, and further, this power to draw people from the sky, it's happening right now. They get in touch with Scotty, and Scotty's like, a heat beam is taking the ship down! You gotta we We've got an explanation for why we haven't all just beamed down already. There's actually stuff oh, happening up on the ship. We need, we have 12 hours or we're all gonna die. Poor Scotty uh, has to always constantly report how fucked they are. Like, right? no one has to report more bad news, I think, mm -hmm. than Scotty in this show. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Um, and But almost as soon as we learn this, an energy force begins emitting into the place, into the dungeon they're in. And suddenly, that's right, a hollow projection like from Star Wars appears. And it's Landru. And we finally get this guy's thesis statement. I am Landru. You have come as destroyers. You bring an infection. You have come to a world without hate, without fear, without conflict. No war, no disease, no crime, none of the ancient eagle evils. <laughs> none of the eagles. Uh, Landru seeks tranquility, peace for all, the universal good. The good must transcend the evil. It will be done. So it has been since the beginning. You will be absorbed. Individuality will be merged into the unity of the good in your submergence into the common being of the body. You will find contemptment contentment uh and fulfillment you will experience the absolute good okay man you know i have had my fair share of good experiences i don't think there's any that i would hard sell that much if mm. i'm hearing that language from people 
I assume I'm either being described uh, a religious movement of some sort uh-huh. or a multi-level marketing scheme. <laughs> yup! That is exactly, Landry's like, I'm here to help you make a passive income working from home. Um, but, but at that moment, a spooky high-pitched noise rings out and everyone grabs their ears and they're like, oh, and they fall to the ground. Uh, Kirk wakes back up now in a new underground dungeon. Uh, this one without any of the high tech stuff. We're back to gas lamps. Um, and there's a big stone door and he wakes up all of his guys. They're all asleep. They're all like, oh, we just got hit with a hypersonic. Like, we have headaches. Um, and that's when the big stone door opens and two lawgivers walk in with a serene, smiling Dr. McCoy. Oh, hello. And we know something's fucked up because mm. there is no goddamn reason for McCoy yep. to be smiling when he's off his ship. He is mm. only happy when he's in his med bay playing with mm. his little toys and yeah. healing people. He doesn't like to be having to taken down to deal with other people's shit. So when mm. he comes around that corner smiling, I knew, oh, Bones has gotten land dude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's like joy to you. They just kind of walk away and like leave him there. And he's like, oh, hello, everyone. I'm so happy. And they're like, Bones, do you remember us at all? And he's like, what? You're not of the body? I don't know what you're talking about. He is fully Landru-pilled. Yeah, it's it's very sad. Yes. But couldn't have happened to a funnier character. No. (laughs) Um, That's when the doors open again and the lawgivers walk in and point at Kirk. Kirk tries to refuse. He tries the old trick again. He's like, no, what if no? And they're like, then we will kill you. (laughs) He's like, okay. Okay, they've updated their programming. They now Mm -hmm. have an answer in in their mental algorithms as to what they can do. We'll kill you, frankly. Or you die. Um, So he's like, okay, cool. Um, He's walked into a chamber where he's made to stand against a wall and like handcuffed to the wall with like high tech white handcuffs. And that's when an old man in orange robes walks in and he goes to the lawgiver and is like, it is your hour. Uh, it's break time. Uh, go, go on break. I'm here to replace you. Happy communing. The lawgiver walks off. Missy, what was he communing? <laughs> what is like, I like happy communing. Like, are they going off the fuck? <laughs> I really that phrase I'm glad that phrase stuck out to you too because just the phrase happy communing that just sound again that sounds like something that you would say when you arrive at like a nudist colony yeah like something like happy communing yeah. like it's not it's it's not what I'm expecting people in well one old west garb to be said mm-hmm. uh, people in robes for sure but it just yeah. was a very the language of this cult i actually was afraid i'm like oh no i could get into this i I, i'm worried it's also unclear if the lawgivers are robots or not like they're clearly not but at this point like 
You're like, what are you doing? Like, you act robotically. Like, do you have a break? Like, do you just, like, go to your break room and, like, eat some soup and, like, shoot shit with the other? They're just the ones that are the most pilled. They're the ones that take the pills twice daily. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as soon as the lawgivers march off, this orange guy gets in the booth and just releases Kirk. He's like, hi, I'm Maplon. I wasn't able to save your first friend. Uh... Oh, wait, no, no. this doesn't happen. Uh, uh, not yet. No, I'm so sorry. Ahead. It's because he, Kirk goes in and then we cut. Yes. Maplon has said, happy communing. We go back to Spock. Spock is like, I can't get through to Dr. McCoy. Uh, then the stone doors open and Kirk is walked back in and he's like, joy to you, friend. And we're all like, oh, no. Um, but then they bring Spock into the room. Spock yeah. is chained up. Spock's That's blood. when Maplon lets him go. He says, I wasn't able to save your first two friends, but I was able to save your captain. Hi, I'm Maplon. I'm also in this resistance. I'm also here. I'm here to do acting now. <clears throat> yes. There was it was a three-man resistance because they're organized in threes. And Tamar's dead. Rhaegar's doing Rhaegar things. Now we got our third guy. Maplom. And he's like, Hi, I'm here to save you. Here's your weapons. Uh, you're gonna need them. Act like your captain acted. I can't answer any of your many questions right now, even though they are very pertinent, but I think you're here as part of a prophecy. And Spock is like, give me any information, please. Yeah, please. And he's and like, thank no. You. But the lawgivers come back in and Spock, uh, per- he does the thing. He says, joy to you. Like, joy does like you. a smile. And as he's walking out, he raises an eyebrow that only we can see. Like, haha, I'm tricking these things. Um, so <laughs> now we're back in the cell. And we've got Kirk. We've got Spock. We've got Lindstrom. McCoy and O'Neill are Landrupilled. But everyone's pretending that they've been changed. So Spock and Kirk go off in a little corner with Lindstrom. They're like, we're going to figure out what's going on and like pretend that we're not. Um, And they're like trying to like theorize about their situation. So Spock theorizes, and this is what I think might be a gene. This is a soulless society, Captain. It has no spirit, no spark. All is indeed the peace and tranquility, the peace of the factory, the tranquility of the machine, all parts working in unison. Communist. I love that. The peace of the factory, the tranquility of the machine. <laughs> that feels like capitalism to me, perfectly honest. Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, I find really interesting is some of the language uh sort of when when i hear it back from earlier and thinking on it the language uh uh, foreshadows uh Mm -hmm. landu's yes mission and also form it just is very interesting it really is um so he says okay i think that we're thinking the same thing Mr. Spock, the plug must be pulled. Spock's the plug like, must be pulled. Sir? Mm-hmm. Kirk's like, Landru must die. 
And Spock says, Captain, our prime directive of non-interference. And Kirk's like, that refers to living, growing cultures. That's not this. This is the first time we hear about the prime directive. Yeah. It was invented by Gene Alcoon so that Kirk would have something to throw out. Oh, really? Like something to throw out in terms of conceptually explaining what this is? Sort of. Like, uh, sort of to be like... Just to have another thing, like to, another way to describe the society. Like it's not a living, growing culture. Yeah. Um. Well, because for me, we know that. The but it's also used. Yeah. yeah. Like it's no, they're not allowed to interfere with sentient cultures and mm-hmm. life forms and things like that, which that's part of the point is that we find out because it's not a, uh, a culture that is mm-hmm. created from sentience that's when Rhaegar and Marplin enter um and basically as soon as Kirk and Spock are trying to convince them to take them to Landru they're like hi like take us to Landru take us to Landru and they're like here's your communicators and they're like yeah you should probably answer our questions McCoy notices and freaks the fuck out he's like lawgivers lawgivers there's like people here that are So, Spock, uh, they fight. McCoy gets knocked out. Lawgivers pop in. Spock and Kirk both punch different lawgivers. Um, Yeah, which was funny that this was an option the whole time. I mean, I guess I know they were trying to, like, not, you know, be engaging with it. But it's just funny that their solution to Mm -hmm. them is just punching them out. Just punching them in the face. Uh, the, The Spock was supposed to do a Vulcan neck pinch at first on his. But the blocking was weird, so he just, like, improvised socking the guy in the face. The blocking with those robes would be particularly, yeah. like, precarious. I get that. Yeah. Uh, and that's why the line Shatner says, which is, isn't that a little old-fashioned, was ad-libbed. Ah. Um, mm-hmm. Um, so they fight. They take out the lawgivers. Um, and they're like, we need information from you Rhaegar and Marplin like what the fuck is going on but these men have lost their nerve entirely they're like oh no we fucked up we've yep. brought our society down upon us Landrew's like, gonna get us I'm sorry Landrew uh, please yeah. we beg your forgiveness Landrew we like, want to go back literally. into your harmonious you know brainwashing what do you think made them freak out so bad at that point like, why then? Do you think it was because they, like, now they know they could get in real trouble that, like, the lawgivers have been punched? Like, I maybe th- violence out of context? No, I think that's what it is. I was going to say, I think it's because they're having, like, um, forms of violence that's outside of the festival. And yeah. so it probably is so appealing to them. Also, I just think because no one has ever tried to overthrow them and the fact that it's not it's like i'm sure they were fine helping them trying to escape landrew mm-hmm, and like get out mm-hmm. of here but then to actually try and overthrow landrew which they yeah. haven't figured out the element that kirk and spock have which is landrew's not actually a person yeah they don't have that knowledge so yeah it's a lot of i'm sure a lot of different factors but i i kind of actually didn't really question it i just assumed if any reason well yeah they just got their nerve down because it actually had to go confronting landrew and it's like yeah it's it's one thing to shit talk your boss it's a different thing to go confront him 
Mm -hmm. But now we get the actual information. Uh, Rager says there was war convulsions. The war, the world was destroying itself. Landrew was our leader. He saw the truth. He changed the world. He took us back, back to a simple time, a time of peace and tranquility. <clears throat> and Kirk's like, what happened to him? Marplon's like, he's still alive. He's still here. He's here now. He hears. He sees. We have destroyed ourselves. Like, oh, God, no more. And Kirk is like, you said you wanted freedom. It is time you learned that freedom is never a gift. It has to be earned. We're going to fucking Landrew, mm -hmm. bitches. <clears throat> so Spock has to nerve pinch Rhaegar because he's completely lost. Oh, his yeah, nerve. no, he lose. He he yeah. basically completely folds in on himself. Yeah. Yeah. He's just like, I was wrong. I was wrong. So he's like, OK, Marplan, like you got to earn your freedom. Be a fucking man. So Marplan like reluctantly brings them up to the hearing chambers where they're going to hear Landrew, where people hear Landrew. Uh, he bows to the doors to let them in, and Kirk and Spock have put on lawgiver robes to, like, walk through the castle, so they take off their lawgiver robes. Um, and here, once again, we see the hologram of Landrew, who says, Despite my best efforts to save you, you have invaded the body and you are causing great harm obliteration is necessary the infection is strong for the good of the body you will die it is great sorrow all who saw you all who know of your presence here must be excised the memory of the body will be cleansed so it's not just i'm gonna kill you i'm gonna kill fucking everyone who's seen you today and landry is saying this looking like the third, uh, the third unmemorable member of a new wave eighties band. Yep. The yep. one like that you like, like you know they're in it because they're on like the theme. album cover, but like you don't know their name because they're like the bassist or maybe even like the second synth guy. <laughs> um. Exactly. So, and of course, it isn't responding to anything. Kirk's yeah, trying it, to talk to Landrew. It's not responding. It's a tape. And that's something I think, didn't they notice earlier that it, they yeah. seemed to notice that it didn't have actual responses? It just seemed yeah. to be a tape playing over and that no one else within the community noticed it because they simply were just, you know, accepting Listen. it all on faith. Yeah, they weren't asking anything back of it. So uh, Kirk and Spock take out their phasers and phaser the wall, which immediately disintegrates to show... That's right, a big old fucking computer. It was AI the whole time. It was an AI. They try to phaser the computer, but it's like, I have neutralized your weapons. You can no longer use them. And so what can Kirk do to defeat an evil computer without any weapons? We are going to destroy its logic circuits. Destroy the logic circuits! So, Kirk starts off. Landrew died 6,000 years ago, but Landrew the computer is like, I'm Landrew. Fuck yeah. you. Kirk, you don't have his wisdom. He may have programmed you, but he can't have given you a soul. You're a machine. And Landrew's like, that's irrelevant. Fuck you. He programmed uh, me with all of his knowledge, therefore I yeah. am Landrew. 
Yeah, like, the good of the body is the prime directive. And Spock's like, oh, that's where it is. So Kirk's like, all right, what is the good? Landrew's like, I am Landrew. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What's good? Well, I'm Landrew, first off. First off, uh, Kirk's like, Landrew's dead. Like, answer the question I've given you. Landrew's like, the good is the harmonious continuation of the body. Peace, tranquility. The good of the body is the directive. Uh, Kirk's then, well, then I have put to you that you disobey the prime directive as you are harmful to the body. Holy shit. I'm the problem. It's me. Yep. Landrew's like, but it exists. It's here. And Kirk's like, it's dying. You're killing it. Landrew's like, do you have a question? (laughs) Which is great. (laughs) It's like, it sounds like you don't have any more questions, Kirk. Uh, Kirk's just like, what have you done to do justice to the full potential of every individual in the body? Landrew says, insufficient data. Mm. Without freedom of choice, there is no creativity. Without creativity, there is no life. The body dies. The fault is yours. And Spock's like, are you aiding the body or destroying it? Uh, and Landrew, uh, suddenly sounding very machine-like i am not programmed to answer that question uh they're just like you're evil you're destroying and you must be destroyed that is the prime directive you are the evil the evil must be destroyed landrew says i think i live and kirk says you're the evil the evil must be destroyed you are the evil evil landrew says landrew help me help me help me help me and explodes sparks all of his punch cards just burn up inside of him and he goes foosh foosh um that was a justman suggestion he's like maybe instead of disintegrating when it gets out logic i can just have a little smoke bomb and we save a thousand dollars now now if i may this is i know we're very we're getting close to the end i would like to now take over the part of the summary here Ooh, I can say please. what happens because it's very simple. Yeah. The computer blows up and Kirk goes, well, we're done here. My problem solved. I got to get out of here. <laughs> we're going to here. This time I'll go. We're going back up the ship. Everyone, bye. And that's what happens. Literally the yep. quickest, the quickest yep. I've ever seen Kirk literally <laughs> be over shit. He walks out and he's like, well, Marvel can take care of this. We're out of here. And they're like, wait, but no, nope, I am gone. Bye. Yeah. Literally, it's like, well, guys, let's get out of here now. Yeah. It is the fun, the funniest, like, they have it's ever amazing. wrapped up. Like, I'm like, oh, they ran out of time. <laughs> they are out of time. They are not going to, we are not going to deal with the repercussions of this. Kirk literally says a hundred times, it's not ours to deal with. We're getting out of here. Go, bye. And gone. You know, to cut to commercial. Um, Kirk literally says, well, Marplan, you're on your own now. He I does. hope you're up he to says it. You're on your own. And to the lawgivers, you can get rid of those robes. If I were you, I'd start looking for new jobs. Bye. <laughs> Fucking fuck. I couldn't like. To be fair, they've just had to like deprogram a bunch of people and things. But it is just you know, in terms of a prime directive, it's yep. like well. We have gotten rid of the thing that's taking over. You're now your own sentient society with your own codes and rules. Bye-bye. Peace. Peace. We don't get resolution uh, about the Archons. We don't. It nope. just, nope, bye. Nope. Uh, back on the Enterprise. So, Everything's so, solved. Wait, was, was Landra Rue? Don't care. Don't care. Goodbye. Lindstrom has remained behind. 
to fix their society to make it more human. Um, and we end on a quip. Spock asks, how often mankind has wished for a world as peaceful and secure as the one Landrew provided? And Kirk says, yes. And we never got it. Just lucky, I guess. Da, People da, died in the purge, Kirk. Da, 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 da. Right? I, wow. It, this episode was fantastic. Definitely yes. a top shelf episode. Uh, just in terms of the themes, like it's really easy, you know, a lot of times my critiques are, well, I've heard this story, but better, you know, and I've not mm-hmm. actually seen The Purge, so I can't say, oh, I've seen this, but better, because uh, I haven't seen it. Um, but just the, yeah, the themes of ubiquity, harmonious, the, the lines about creativity really got me. I'm like, oh, that's a fun, that's, a, we, when we talk about the thesis of an episode, that's an yeah. interesting one to go in there is that creativity is what helps build societies and so when everyone the homogenous aspect of it all the you know everyone is just a drone to work and be productive and leave and that is it for the good of everything um because different ideas breed animosity but they also breed creativity and that's because mm-hmm. that we get you know inspired by creativity because the ideas are different than our own you know you're not yeah. usually always inspired by stuff that is similar to your own you are just like you know, comparing and encouraged by it. But, you know, yeah, it just mm-hmm. is really, really, really interesting. Um, yeah, it, it's definitely very interesting. And it's something that has been considered by actual, like, scholars a lot. Um, there is a, uh, this is basically from Wikipedia, but scholar Ar- uh, Eric Green argues that this is reflective of the frontier myth of Star Trek and American foreign policy in the 20th century, in which a superior, superior culture expands to impose its understanding of freedom and progress on others. The idea being that this was not a living and growing culture, which obviously it was not within the reality of the story. Oh, However, yes. metaphorically, it's they are constantly doing that. They are walking in and being like, whoa, y'all aren't doing this right. And to be fair, mm-hmm. most of the times the cultures are doing things that are morally not right. You know, it isn't just like, yeah. oh, you're doing something in weird. Zap, zap, zap. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's one of the things that indeed the prime directive would only truly be honored uh, during one episode of the entire series uh, scholar M Keith Booker. And I don't know who these scholars are. They could be like right wing tools. So <laughs> if they are like, and you're like, Emily, what the fuck? Like, just let me know. I'm like, fuck these guys. I, mean, can, can I haven't fair, looked it up. This Chris- is from Wikipedia and it, and it rings like true to me and like my understanding, like these quotes specifically. It could be, but I'm gonna be, I, I will just say, I think it's fairly safe that uh, questioning America, American yeah. exceptionalism policy during the midst of the Cold War is not necessarily a right-wing talking point. Yeah. So I think we're, we're safe that the scholar probably isn't, right. probably isn't, you know, within that realm. Right. Um, but yeah, scholar uh, M. Keith Booker says that this was Kirk at his most American uh valuing struggle against obstacles as the highest virtue and denouncing a beta utopia equated with stalinism as dehumanizing so i thought that was very interesting about the idea valuing struggle against obstacles as the highest value 
how American that is and how built into sort of the hero story that we see basically everywhere. Um, so I thought that was very fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, these, this was of course, uh, inspired the purge directly. Um, there is a two part comic, uh, adaptation of it, uh, by IDW publishing in 2012 written by Mike Johnson. And there is also a, a moment of it in My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, IDW Comics. In issue number 10, there are some ponies that resemble Kirk and Spock and a gray pony that resembles Vilar tells them, Joy to you, friends! Come to the festival! Are ya? <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> it's just like, it's not Bronies the reference i would soon. expect so it's such a it's such a small reference i just love that that's what they chose um and then here's something very interesting and uh complicated there is a woman named amy rose and she grew up in a cult that it was around the same time as heaven's gate in a similar area she has not revealed the name of this cult um that truly believed that the galactic confederation of planets like it, it, they were taught that star trek is real okay uh it was one of those cults they believed that the uh galactic confederation of planets was opposed by the archons who wore skin suits and had taken over the government and that gene roddenberry was awakened and therefore able to tap into this higher level of knowledge which he then presented to all of us through star trek um rose eventually left the cult um thank god relying in part on lessons star trek taught her and there is a wonderful short cartoon story called my first contact connected to the truth which was illustrated by ryan estrada and that's on star trek.com um and there's also a book which has already come out called occulted which is another graphic novel um about her experience being in one of these, you know, th this sort of cult idea stuff, it's very new age spirituality. It's very common. The whole everything in fiction is real in another dimension or in, you know, the cloud in some esoteric way. And so I can then use these fictional works to manipulate you and control you. Um, people always, who are in a cult. Yeah, I'm always really fascinated by mm -hmm. people who have essentially spiritual awakenings associated with things we would normally consider non-religious yeah. works and stuff that truly affects them on a messaging level now some mm -hmm. of that bleeds over into um delusion and at a certain point obviously mm -hmm. you are like you can be i it's great to be affected by things obviously it's great to be affected oh, yeah. by like, art when you then i want to know where the intersection of enjoying yeah. a work spiritually and a mental illness where you p think people are in skin suits like where does that exactly. go where does that bleed exactly. over exactly and i feel and like why is that a trope why is, is like, why yeah. is skin people thing a trope oh uh, like the Jews. lizard people it's anti-semitism oh well it's that's yeah of course yeah, yeah. oh yeah. my god yeah that that's an old anti-semitic thing that they've just been rehashing over and over again uh to the point where most of the people who who talk about it and say about it don't realize that it's specifically anti-semitic 
they'll just like when they're suddenly described that it was Jews who did these things by some Nazis, they're like, that makes sense for some reason. Somehow it vibes with what I was already thinking about the world. Uh, so yeah, so basically uh, this this person, Amy Rose, it's this great little comic about how um, this leader who, I, I feel like the intersection is like people are really into affected by media. Maybe they have delusion. Maybe they have other points of desperation. They're just like normal people. And then someone comes in to manipulate and someone comes in to take advantage of them, like these leaders, and they turn these great works against them. But this girl um, talked about how, like, it was really hard to be as brainwashed because they'd be sitting watching freaking Star Trek, which is all about critical thinking. (laughs) And, like, thinking, like, wow, Picard wouldn't do this. Like, what would Spock do? Like, what? how would he get through this situation? And that was really... I, I that really spoke to me because I also used the 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 image of Spock and Kirk and these people to help me through when I didn't when I wasn't sure if what the adults in my life were telling me was valid. Yeah, that makes sense. And sort of being like my my smell detector is going off. I don't know what to do about this. You know, your children, you're disadvantaged, you're cut off from everything. Um yeah, but having access to those images. So I absolutely encourage everyone to look that up. It's on StarTrek.com, my first contact. Um, and apparently the book Occulted is also really good and it looks really, really beautiful. But I I thought it was so like strange that they're like the Archons, um, that they chose that to be the evil people even though in the episode the archons were actually the good guys uh. yeah and again the, it's it's weird that's called the return of when they don't return i know the implication being mm. that kirk and them are trying to just like they are like the that return they have returned. because they were the ones yeah. that came but yeah still yeah it's it's interesting and i think i wonder if the reason why this episode isn't like the quintessential episode of Star Trek TOS is because the name is weird. Well, like if they had named it like Landrew's Paradise maybe. or or Paradise XML, would you, it? They couldn't call it Bonkers Computer, unfortunately. That would have yeah. given away the ending. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have one final fun fact about this episode. It is entirely un. Well, not entirely, but I don't know if this is real, and I really question the source. Okay, um, lay it on. Lay this on is this from IMDb. Fact. This could be a fact or a factoid. A factoid. Uh, all of the regulars on the show during filming were quitting smoking at the same time, and many were chewing gum instead. Director Joseph Pevney was increasingly upset because he had to cut constantly to remind them not to chew gum during the shoots, as a prank for a large scene. William Shatner went around handing bubblegum to the cast, crew, and extras and had everyone blow a bubble right after the director hollered action. That's beautiful. Also, that sounds like, I mean, one, I'm sure it's a sound thing, but it also sounds like 
have you just had one of those chewing auditory right? fixations where you can yeah. hear people he's chewing just, ah! and he's like that goddamn ah! chewing all the cameras are gonna pick it up like oh no i think i'll be like no oh, they're gonna look like they're all chewing um this came from sid haig uh, who reported that the director almost passed out. And this was during a phone interview with Schlocky Horror Picture Show uh, for a television airing of Spider Baby or The Maddest Story Ever Told. I don't know what any of those things are. Well, Sid Haig I don't know is one Sid of the Haig first lawgivers. And Sid Haig was a, is a horror oh! schlock sensation. I don't, I guess I don't know what a horror film it is. So, so that... Everything about so that line. So he was in up. it. He's an actor. He's so he absolutely yes. would know if this happened. Yes. <gasps> at least, at happened. least he says that. You know, is it an Atlantis story? I don't know, but yes, he that. Everything about the fact that uh, Hag said that is correct. Wow. I was. Oh yeah, yeah, he was in House of a Thousand Corpses, mm-hmm. Devil's Rejects. Okay, okay. Abruptino um that's not out yet that's a 2023 actually it might be out yeah but i just really like that name of yeah. the movie. he's one of those people that i heard about after he passed because it's like oh someone you don't hear about is in the news and like mm-hmm. a lot of credits and stuff are attached and you're like wait who is this person yeah and it was yeah. a lot of um the seeing him i'm like i feel like i've seen him yes before he i think probably he's the, kind of iconic looking the biggest ones that he probably would be known for being in is that um it was just uh covered uh by the uh wonderful podcast this has oscar buzz uh but uh, kill bills volume one and two uh mm-hmm. or i think just two mm-hmm. he's in mm-hmm. that um as um on there because uh quentin tarantino of course would have known him from mm-hmm. watching a lot of the i think specifically black exploitation oh, films that he would have been in maybe around that time or at least yeah. exploitation films i don't know if it was specifically he was in jackie brown films. but yes he was in jackie brown um, so he's been used. He by was in fucking Jones. everything. Yep. Holy fuck! Jesus! Oh my god! This man—he was in the Lucy Show. Yeah. He was a mummy. That's he was great. the mummy. <laughs> the episode Lucy and the Monsters. Um. So yeah, that is the return of the Archons. AI will cause the purge. If allowed to, if given the opportunity, which the AI will purge. If this episode makes it to air and the AI hasn't already taken over, you know, which is a threat mm-hmm. every day. I hear every day every it's a day. threat. So we're living on borrowed time. Um, it, I hope that it gets them there. And I hope we're able to make the next episode because we have to talk about what's on next for Red Shards. <gasps> Two words. What's up next? Space seed what do you think this one's about missy i don't think i know (coughs) because of course i uh as part of the missy canon for for red shards i have seen every single star trek movie which includes the wrath of khan and so i know that this is the episode which first features one ricardo montalban Yup. As Khan. So I can't wait. Iconic. A truly, Ugh. if there has ever Ugh. been a usage 
of the term iconic Star Trek episode. If, if we have this shot our shots, it. it is unfortunate because this one yeah. is the iconic one. It's because not one. only is it it's so iconic it. that it led to one of those iconic films, it led to one of the most iconic films being re- duplicated by another later Star Trek film. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like we, we will, we cannot escape Khan's shadow. Yeah. And that's exactly the way he'd want it. Exactly. And I don't know how I feel about that, but we'll find out how some other characters feel about it. And listeners, mm. if you are expecting a dramatic Kirk like Khan, that's not going to happen because oh, that's not no, canonical. Not, that hasn't happened not yet. Canonical. So not yet. Get it out in your heads. Imagine uh-uh. that we're yelling Khan really loud. Not See, not I'm not yet. even going to pretend to do it. I don't want to give you uh-uh. the satisfaction. You can go look up not, the clip uh-uh. on YouTube. But next week we are uh-uh. going to see Khan in Bad Seed Con. or Bad Bad Seed. <laughs> bad Seed is a Bad Seed yeah. is a play about which has terrible eugenics theories like preceding it, but it's about a girl yep. who literally is Bad Seed and is like a murderous psychopathic, psychopathic person killer. yeah and then basically like, you've got As the bad seed oh it's it's you the mother because you it was in you the whole time Ooh, fuck off yep and then in the movie uh it had to end with the little girl going out because the little girl's a serial killer the mom decides because the mom's father was secretly a serial killer the mom decides she's going to kill herself and the daughter yep you know to save the world but fails on both counts. Yes. The daughter survives and so does she. But in the Hollywood movie, uh, the daughter just walks out to a dock and gets hit by lightning and dies. Yep. And that's the end of the movie. God takes care of it in the end. He's like, ah, oh, I must get rid of my bad suit. Oh, I found you. Boom. Couldn't have gotten rid of your serial killer <laughs> right dad. Thing. But we'll punish right? this girl. Uh, yeah. And then at the very end, all of the characters come out and do like a... They wave. Away. The they let you know everything's all right. Yeah. They're like, look, this little girl isn't a serial killer. She's just a little girl. <laughs> please, please don't think this little girl is a serial killer. I have I have someone uh who wanted to do a reading of that locally during <gasps> Halloween. And I was like, why? <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't want to touch this. This I don't like it. Like, not this this I'm like, this, aren't there better spoopy oopy? plays out there right? that don't have again weird implications in terms of like you know that on there i don't know mm, i might yeah, be over i'm not being overly sensitive it's just i don't like the script it's not a good script fair yeah it's not like it's so dated yeah it doesn't uh justify exact thank you the story <laughs> so, does not justify it's not good itself. enough to like unlike all of these star trek stories unlike these i can't wait Friends. till next week cannot wait this wasn't see wait. this i love these episodes which are like mm-hmm. beautiful surprises because i don't know one the meaning to star trek or not mm-hmm. but there are a few episodes that i know are coming and this was one that i'm just ready i want to see the classic episode like i want to see what i know is gonna happen yeah i'm ready hell yeah oh god i just realized hell eugenics yeah. it's, a, it's a genetics war coming up next week that's that's what yeah. that is. Oh, oh, I didn't even yeah, realize I tied it together. Oh shit, it's a eugenics. They did the eugenics. It turns out it didn't go great, everyone. Don't mess with it. I'm excited. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. 
Missy. Until next week, you know what you got to do. I got to live long and prosper. And you also, I was trying to prosper. make a portmanteau of, of oh. eugenics and gene, and it just becomes eugenius, which just sounds you like I'm praising, praising it, praising it, and that just gets bad. So, yeah, right. Like eugenics, no, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. Don't do it. That's that's our advice here from Red Charts. Don't, eugenics. Don't do it. It's don't. Nah. 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 Don't do nah. Goodbye. Hooray. <laughs>